Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcats Basketball Podcast. I'm Zach Coomer, joined by Ryan Hummer. Ryan, what's happening? It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcats fan. As always, my friend, there is absolutely no doubt about that. Congratulations to our esteemed university football program, defeating the Miami Redhawks today for the 101st consecutive year. Wonderful, wonderful victory. A great bounce back after a 42-0 drubbing at the hands of Ohio State University. What a great day to be a Bearcat fan that was. (laughs) Tough times for the Bearcat football program. And that's why we focused on the Bearcat basketball program here. Let's go ahead and start off today's show, Ryan, by giving kudos to our new program leader, John Brannon, inducted into the Marshall Athletics Hall of Fame. Congratulations, coach. I didn't even know he played basketball, to be honest. <laughs> well, with the 6'8 frame, he better. I went ahead and, and looked at John Brannon's stats for Marshall and that's where I learned that John Brandon was not a four-year player at Marshall. Instead, he actually started his career in 1992 with Moorhead State University. He played his first two years of college basketball with that program, and his stats left much to be desired, to be honest with you. Um, free throw percentage was pretty low, 68% and 70% respectively, 12 points and 10 points per game. But when he went to Marshall, He became a new man, and this is probably why he made their Hall of Fame. Field goal percentage skyrocketed, and he became a three-point shooter. Uh, Shot very close to 40% as a player, and senior season dropped 21 points a game. So, Coach, congratulations. Now that you're a Bearcat officially, uh, we care about all of our Bearcat accomplishments. So congratulations on being inducted into the Marshall Athletics Hall of Fame. Folks, that's why we call him Johnny Buckets. Johnny Buckets, shot maker. Hopefully that's the exact kind of player Mr. Brandon will be recruiting for the Bearcats going forward. Hummer, as we got going tonight and thought about you know what, what we should talk about, we're still in the offseason. We're still creating content. We don't have a lot of basketball games to talk about or results to talk about. It's all hypotheticals or it's reliving the Cronin era. Maybe people are sick about t- hearing about Cronin. I'm certainly not sick of talking about him. It was a 13-year relationship. There's plenty of meat on the bone there still. But I noticed there was a very interesting conversation that popped on my Twitter feed today. Uh, James White and Eric Hicks were asking each other whether they were in the Bearcats Athletics Hall of Fame. Uh, Our initial reaction. Can I just answer that question for you? No. Neither of them are in the Bearcat Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, do you know that to be a fact, or are you basing that on their careers as Bearcats? I'm just going to base that off my car- their careers, my gut instinct, knowing that Nick Van Axel was just inducted this year. Nick Van Axel. There's right. no way Eric Hicks and James White are in the Hall of Fame yet. Right. So this naturally made us wonder, who is in the Bearcats Hall of Fame? Obviously, it's not limited to just basketball, but... We, we were wondering who on the bat in the basketball program has actually been inducted and come to find out there's a very odd order of operations to things as it relates to our Bearcats athletics hall of fame. 
Zero. Zero logic. So so back in 2011, Jason Maxiel was inducted into the Bearcats Hall of Fame. Do you have any qualms with Jason Maxiel being a Hall of Famer? No qualms. Me no. neither. So Jason Maxiel came in, was a contributor from day one as a freshman, um, had that beautiful turnaround jump shot in the mid post, uh, most, most often executed on the baseline, great defender, tons of block shots, enforcer for the team, emotionally just a, a, a stable and reliable guy, never, never too high, never too low. I love Jason Maxiel. I have no qualms with him being in the Hall of Fame. And, and I want to say he had a prolific NBA career, but he did have a, a tenured career in the NBA. Uh, you know, I think as recently with the, the, the Hornets back in 2014, 2015, I think was, was one of his last seasons, but you know, it's still a, a tenured career in the NBA too. It's, it's, it's definitely longer to say than what Eric Hicks has done <laughs> in post playing years. Right. Uh, yeah. Jason Maxiel had a successful NBA career. I mean, he got multiple contracts, 10 plus years in the league. He was on the Detroit Pistons team that made runs in the playoffs. Famously, he was on the Detroit Pistons team that gave up that legendary performance to LeBron James, where he scored 31 of the team's last 32 points. And uh, one of the moves where LeBron went down the hole and dunked on the team, Jason Maxiel was probably the closest piston. So Congratulations, Jason, Jason, for that moment in NBA history. Um, but yeah, no qualms. What I do have a qualm with, though, is that Jason Maxiel was inducted into the Bearcats Athletics Hall of Fame before Kenyon Martin. How? How's that happen? It makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. Kenyon Martin finished his playing career with the Bearcats back in 2000. And let's face it, he's these easily, unanimously, the second greatest Bearcat basketball player of all time arguably the greatest no he's not oh, oh oscar robertson is the greatest basketball player of all time at the bearcats program D- different eras different eras 100 percent. i relate a lot more to kenny martin that's kind of the era i grew up in however i'm not going to dismiss the fact that the big o is an all-time nba player and laid all sorts of groundwork for for african-american players to play in college basketball He's a much more important historical player to our program, to the NBA, to basketball at large. You want to know what him and Kenya Martin both have in common, though? Go ahead. They both never won a national championship. Ouch. Ouch. That truly stings because Kenya Martin, as we all know, should have a national championship and did not have the opportunity to carry us as he certainly would have had his leg held up against the St. Louis Billikens many years ago. God. So after Kenyon, we noticed that Nick Van Exel, a two-year junior college star for the team, did get inducted into the Bearcats Athletics Hall of Fame back in 2018. Yep. So uh, quite a lengthy time between um, being a Bearcat and induction. Nick Van Exel, while it wasn't the most lengthy career at the Bearcats, instant contributor leading player on the team, the 1992 team that went to the final four with Bob Huggins, a true Bearcats legend. I, I greatly respect Eric Hicks. I greatly respect James White and the careers they have at the Bearcats. I'm just not 100% convinced that you, you have the case to put them in the hall of fame. We can rehash that another day. I'd love to have Eric and James on the podcast 
to talk about their cases firsthand. Yeah, let's, let's just make the case, guys. We'll fight for you. You just got to give us the ammunition. <laughs> so all we're saying, Bearcats Athletics Hall of Fame, we need to see you get this in gear. We need We need more... This needs to make more sense. We need to understand why players are getting inducted, when they're getting inducted. And my last request to the University of Cincinnati Cincinnati is make your records more available to the public. I have a hard time digging up stats leaders for rebounds, points, blocks, steals. I want to know that information so I can put these players in historical context era after era after era. But for now, Hummer, this is your favorite topic. It's a heartwarming topic. We need to talk about the Nevada game from 2018. This is the game that, in my opinion, changed the relationship that Mick Cronin had with the fan base irreparably. And to the point where a coach who took us to the tournament year after year after year consistently was winning 25 games. The fan base largely does not care that he chose to leave and go to UCLA. That's interesting, right, Hummer? It's not interesting. It's not. The writing's on the wall. We were up 22 points. So let's let's go ahead and... It's left. Let's set the table. So back in 2018... We had what was largely considered the greatest season of the Mick Cronin era with UC. The regular season and conference tournament, we went 31 and 4. I think you're missing one. We had probably the team that we were all the most excited about in, in the last 15 years for this school, too. So it's not just the season, it's the team that makes this even more heart wrenching. That's true. Lovable players, players that put in their time with the Bearcats. Uh, you know, your favorite, Kyle Washington, Gary Clark, Jacob Evans, Jaron Cumberland as a freshman, Trey Scott. It was a team that was, frankly, as loaded as we'd seen since the early 2000s. Uh, as I said, 31-4 and four during the regular season in conference play, uh, including the conference tournament, got a two-seed, and frankly looked like they were set up to make a potentially prolific run in the, in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they cruised to an easy victory victory in the first round against Georgia State. Um, we were actually in, in present. I was at that game. I believe you were as well, Hummer. We, we. We were at that game Split. together. <laughs> and it got off to a slow start. It was pretty uncomfortable to watch in person. You know, we had friends who were from California watching us watch the game who thought, you know, why are these guys so uptight? Why are they so nervous about the Bear- watching the Bearcats play a 15 seed? Little did they know the baggage that this program and this city has with sports teams letting you down when you when you have your your hopes at its highest point. Hummer, how did you feel watching them play Georgia State that first round game? Honestly, it's it's a 15 seed, and at that point we hadn't watched the uh, the the greatness that was. Virginia falling to uh, to a, a lowly 16 seed. So uh, we, we could have been down by 10 at half, and I was still confident we were going to come back and win that game. Um, yes, it was a slow start, but, you know, in the end, you, you, got, you, you look at the numbers and you say, all right, we're going to win that game. And it, it was confidence. And 
maybe that's what that's what led to to what happens next. But frankly, we were having a we we're having a good time. We're we're in the stadium. The 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 tide is not with us. The crowd is not with us. There, yeah, there's UC fans in there, but half the people in that stadium were not rooting for UC. There was definitely the underdog vibe, and we're all just kind of sitting back, you know, basically have our stogies already lit and being like, "Hey, man, when's when's October coming in?" Yeah, look, a lot of teams, especially high seeds, sometimes have the first round jitters. You're playing a team where if they beat you, it's history. It's of historical significance. You know, yeah. losing to a 15 seed is going to get you remembered for all the wrong reasons. So I wasn't that upset by the performance in the first round. It wasn't our most impressive uh, game by any means. We ended up winning it by 15 points, 68 to 53, which did set up a date with uh, Nevada, the seven seed that on that Sunday. And as you mentioned, this bracket completely opened up. When the number one seed of the overall in the tournament in our bracket was knocked out in the first round of the tournament by a 16 seed, which was the first time in the history of the NCAA that had ever happened. The cards, the the table was set for UC to make the much needed deep run into the tournament under Mick Cronin, which we had so badly been yearning for for years. Well, we were all sitting there watching that game. I mean, we, we had the house that we rented down in Nashville, and we're all sitting there watching this game. We, I think we all, when they lost, we all looked at each other, and we said, is, is this real? Like, I think yeah. we were counting our chicken for the hatch. We're like, holy, holy hell. It was surreal. It was surreal. It was a true opportunity. It was- we have to beat Nevada, and then we have to beat the uh, Chicago Loyola. Loyola, Chicago. That's right. Yeah. Which which everybody knows uh, that that Cinderella story what happened there but we're thinking holy holy heck we have a we have a clean shot we're going to the final four baby we're high five and we're happy we're like we're we've never been happier this is true and now just for a little additional context when Mick Cronin joined the program he joined it at an all time low and it was reasonable to expect that it was going to take several years to get back to the tournament now when his first appearance with the Bearcats in the NCAA tournament was back in 2011. We made it to the second round and lost to the number three seed, Connecticut, 69-58, the number three seed, which did go on to win the national championship that year. Tough to hold it against him. That second year in the NCAA tournament, Cronin makes his one and only run to the Sweet 16. We defeated number 11, Texas, in the first round, 65-59, the number three seed, Florida State, Seminoles, 62 to 56, which last week you mentioned the Deion Dixon steal dunk seal the game. Beautiful moment in in, uh, Bearcats history. And then we lost a a tough game, 81 66 to the number two seed Ohio State Buckeyes in the third in the Sweet 16. Now, after that, look at that we overachieved that season as well. Agreed. Yeah, there was no no qualms with that season. I'm very happy. We were extremely happy and excited as a fan base where things were going with the program at that point. But that was back in 2012. After that, we continued having great regular seasons, but our tournament success fell off the map. The next year, we lost to Creighton in the first round, 67 to 63, a team led by Doug McDermott, but frankly, a team we should not lose to in the NCAA tournament. The year after that, we follow that up as a number five seed. We lose to the 12 seed, Harvard, 61 to 57. Do they even have any players in the NBA now, that team? 
The Harvard team? That Harvard team, yeah. No, the Harvard team did not. Only Harvard player ever to play in the NBA, right? To my knowledge, yes. Um, Lynn was not on that team. He had graduated a year before. Um, That was one of the most embarrassing losses of the Cronin era, 100%. And uh, then the, so we follow that up. Let's just finish it, the context here. Follow that up next year. A second round loss to the one seed Kentucky Wildcats. No shame, but another tournament loss in the first weekend. Obviously. Next year, we lose in the first round to the number eight seed, St. Joe's University, 78-76. What do you remember about that game, Hummer? If I'm not mistaken, I think I was in Vegas. <laughs> That's the game where Octavius Ellis tipped in what we thought was a tying bucket. And was it was about Vegas. 0.1 seconds too late. Money on the Bearcats to win outright. <laughs> and then in 2017, we get smoked by UCLA in the second round, 79-67, at the hands of Alonzo Ball, which Ball. led us to our best team of the Cronin era in 2018. It's the two-seed set up to go on best. a long run. Of the Cronin era. No, it's the best team of the Cronin era. Who's the who's a better team? It's that 2012 team. They they had the results. Results are what matter. In terms of expectations. Like in terms record. of expectations, there's no team record. that was better equipped to go on a long run in the tournament than our 2018 team that won 31 games. And we ended up shitting the bed in the most epic of ways against Nevada. So in that game... We took a commanding 22-point lead with 11 minutes left in the game and went on to lose in regulation by two after giving up a critical offensive rebound with nine seconds left in the game. They put the two-point bucket in. We go back down the court. We put the ball in the hands of, I believe, Kane Broom, who struggled to even get a shot off. We lose the game. And the fan base loses what I would say is complete trust and belief in Mick Cronin as a coach. It's one of those times as a Cincinnati sports fan that you, if you were watching, if you cared about Cincinnati sports, any sport, whether the Bengals, the the Reds, the Bearcats, Xavier, whoever, you know where you were when that game happened. Like you remember what was going on. It's like it's like Kenya Martin breaking his leg. Everybody knows what they were doing when when that game happened. This is one of those moments in UC sports history. It's just it's gonna it stings. It stings so so hard, so deep. And you just remember where you're at. And we're sitting in the airport. We're watching this game because we have to we have to fly back. I'm I'm flying to Chicago. And I'm sitting there with our, our our friend Cam Pap, who also went to University of Cincinnati. Shout out, shout out to Mr. Pap. And we're we're sitting there with our friends from California, and they don't they don't get Cincinnati, they don't get the culture, they don't get the the closeness of the city, the smallness of it, the the six degrees of separation between everybody. And we're up 22 points, and they go, guys, why are you clenching your butt cheeks so hard? <laughs> <laughs> and Cam and I'm like, you don't understand. Somehow we're going to blow this game. <laughs> and we said that as a joke. <laughs> and yeah, then I mean, each one of us has to leave. The flights come. The flights come. We're sitting there watching, and the lead goes from 22 to 15 to 12 to 10 
there's like four minutes left. I have to board my flight. So I have to put the game away. I'm trying to watch the end of it. I can't even see the last play because the flight takes off and I lose service. <laughs> I had to sit there for two and a half hours waiting to land to find out that we blew it. <laughs> Incredibly brutal. I was flying back from Nashville that day, missed the entire first half. I land, immediately turn the phone out of airplane mode, get a score notification that we've got, I think, a 12-point lead at halftime. I'm, I'm ecstatic. 12 points. Big lead. Great defensive team. Uh, this is something that we, we have a true chance at this point to go to the Sweet 16. And as I'm walking to, you know, walking through the Cincinnati airport, uh, actually it was the Austin airport. As I'm walking through Austin, uh, back to my car, I've got the, the game streaming on my phone. The lead goes from 12 to 15 to 18 to 22 points. A 20.2 point lead as I hop in my car and hit the road. And at that point is when I switched to listening to the game. And I can, I, I can remember the surreal feeling of having a 30-minute drive from airport to my house, during which time a 22-point lead completely evaporated, culminating as I pull into my driveway with my kids running outside in slow motion. Dad, great to see you. You're home. We missed you. To the two-point shot for Nevada, dropping in, Kane Broom, losing control of the ball, throwing up a prayer, getting it deflected, the buzzer sounding, losing the game, and the sheer disbelief that overcame me in that moment was something I'll never forget. And based on, once I was able to look into what happened those last 11 minutes, I only became more and more furious with how Coach Cronin Acted, acted on, I acted on the court, hand, handled himself afterward in the press. It was a complete embarrassment in terms of how he comported himself in that moment. I'm honestly surprised. Like, yes, he has talent recruiting, you know, for all the good he's done. I'm honestly surprised that a school like UCLA wanted him after watching that game. I'm surprised anybody wanted him after that game. He's sitting there screaming and yelling out the sidelines at the the vein popping out of his head and then coming out and basically blaming it on the players. And, and, you know, you're the coach of some, these kids are 18, 19, 20, you know, 21 year old kids, you know, the motion's running high. You're supposed to be the, you're supposed to be the leader. You don't see coach K out there doing that kind of stuff. Even, even Huggins for as crazy as he could be. And, you know, he, he would probably found a way to get these guys riled back in and be like, Hey, this is just play our game, play our game. Never once did you probably did you see him huddle his players up and say, play our game. Well, I think Cronin's limitations were exposed in a game like this. Nevada closed on a 32 to eight run, and it's it's less the result than how Cronin performed during that time where we, where the players needed him the most. You've got a, a group of players who are clearly rattled. This insurmountable lead they had is gone. How are we going to overcome this? How are we going to bounce back and close this game out? And instead of calling timeouts, calling a play that generates an easy bucket, um, calming the team, like you said, instead you see him berating players unnecessarily, screaming at officials, doing his normal performance that other schools frankly hate him for while while we need him the most. Um, I remember specifically the most the most vivid image of that game to me is – 
I think it was around four minutes left in the game. Uh, Jaron Cumberland is a freshman who had become, uh, he might've been a sophomore, actually. Jaron Cumberland's a sophomore. He's at that point, our best shot creator on the team in terms of just putting the ball in his hands. He's the most confident player to get a bucket, gets in foul trouble. Cronin puts him in with four minutes left with four fouls and he picks up, he picks up a dumb foul and he fouls out of the game, a loose ball foul bumped into, into a Nevada player. There's not much to argue with it. Fouls out and Cronin spends the next couple of minutes screaming at this 19, 20 year old kid rather than coaching the game. And it sums up perfectly the lack of discipline he had as a coach, the lack of composure he had as a coach that I think time and time again cost us as we entered the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Oh God. It's every time I think about it, you, you just watch it. And then his post game comments too, where he basically wants to shoulder it. He wants to take the blame off of himself and, and, and then throw the throw, throw the blame onto, onto his players. It's Cronin just sometimes seems to have a, has a lack of taking, accountability for for the games themselves like his in-game management i don't think was ever fantastic either where we get to these these times where going back to the hug and terror people say hug is a terrible bench coach and people say well what the hell does that mean well well hug cronin was the same exact thing terrible bench coach not bringing players in at the right time bringing them in at the wrong time game management and this, like you mentioned it head on, it's just, this is the game where it just exposed every single one of his weaknesses, everything that we had been thinking about for the last 13 years, where we're trying to fall in love with you, where, you know, some of you already have, some of us haven't. Guys like, people like me, I hated him when he first came on board. You know this. I was on the record saying, screw, screw Cronin, you know, get him out of here. But then I fell in love with him. There was a period of time for like five, six years where I'm all on board. I even tried to defend him after Nevada. I tried to defend him uh, when we talked about this later, Iowa. And it was tough. It's it, He just made it so hard, so hard to sit there and say, keep me. Yeah, I think it, it was, you're, you put it perfectly. This was the game that exposed all of Cronin's shortcomings, no pun intended, in terms of uh, <laughs> his abilities as a coach. Uh, even yeah. after the game. We you know, can Cronin- Cronin's like what five foot five foot four five foot six <laughs> five foot six would be generous. Mick Cronin was asked after the game about coming up short of a Sweet Sixteen, and he was quoted as saying, "Doesn't matter to me. You care about the Sweet Sixteen. I don't. I care about winning a national championship." Point being, incredibly tone deaf after a devastating loss like, like that. And frankly, the University of Cincinnati fan base does care about Sweet Sixteens. We want tournament runs. It's the process, the experience that we love. We want the excitement of Monday through Thursday, that next week, getting amped up for the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Anything can happen at that point. And to say that you don't care about that after blowing a historic lead, 22 points with 11 minutes to go, that's why I say there was no turning back. There was no earning trust with the UC fan base after this Awful, awful performance and this awful choke job by a team that had so many likable players, so many great memories of the seniors, Gary Clark, Kyle Washington. There was it was just such a fun group to root for. And his performance as a coach, his comments afterward are what are what 
<laughs> those everything Cronin did during that game and after is what, in my opinion, made it so that he was able to leave this year, take a job that's actually had come up for him. He's going to UCLA, an incredibly historic program with lots of resources, the private jet he's been so coveting. And honestly, the Bearcat fan base does not care. No, not at all. Bye. Good. See ya. Good riddance. Yeah. As as my girl Taylor Swift said, death by a thousand cuts. <laughs> so so the fan base <laughs> the fan base goes into a state of shock. Cronin still coaches the next year. Uh, it's a scrappy team. Not a ton of uh, not a ton of expectations. But in my opinion, we overachieve, get the seven seed in the tournament, lose again in the first round to the Iowa Hawkeyes uh, by not making shots, not generating any easy looks for ourselves, and giving up uncontested three-pointers to a team that's loaded with offensive talent. Basically, the definition of a Cronin era team. 100%. And that's the lasting memory and lasting legacy that Nick Cronin has with the Bearcats. When he talks to the athletic and says things like he could have had his name on the court, sir, that could have happened, but you would have had to stay and you would have had to win more important games. You would have had to win games that you were unable to win during your 13 years with the program. Good luck to you in UCLA. Did he really he certainly need it? He could have had his name on the court. That's that a quote. Correct. That is a quote. No one challenged him on that. No one said, hey, you remember that Ed Junker guy? He won two national championships. He went to four consecutive Final Fours. Do, do people know? Like, I don't know if you guys know this out there. Cincinnati is in an elite club. You know there's only two schools that have – sorry, one school that has more consecutive Final Four appearances than the University of Cincinnati. Name that school. Ooh, how, many, how many was it? Four. Five. <laughs> Four or five. Kentucky? Nope. Kansas? Nope. Go on, tell me. I don't I clearly don't know. UCLA. John wow. There's only one school that has more consecutive Final Four appearances, and that is UCLA. Back in the sixties when we won our national championships, Cincinnati was a powerhouse and people forget that. We were on par with UCLA. It's one of the things that propels us to be in that top 15 all-time program. And, you know, we can't, we can't forget what was in the middle, but you can't forget what's in the past. And that 50s and that 60s era for Cincinnati basketball was huge. And, yes, Oscar Robinson, yes, he is the best basketball player in the history of the program. He's, he's instrumental to that. But, you know, you move forward, and then the 80s happened, and that sucked. But then once we get there, we get to Bob Huggins, and he's the one who rejuvenated this whole thing. So we got to give thanks, but yeah, final four appearances. No other school has more than us in a row, except for UCLA. Not Louisville, not Villanova, not Georgetown. We're also in a school elite, elite, elite where we have two national championships. Go look at the list of schools that have more than one national championship. It's less than twenty. Incredible. Villanova. Well, has what, Georgetown only has one. It's why John Brandon finds himself with such an amazing opportunity, despite the fact that we're not in a quote-unquote Power 5 conference. There's lots of tradition here. It's still a big name in the, in the sport, and there's a huge opportunity 
to take this fan base to a place it hasn't gone in go- getting getting close to 10 years. Um, and that's the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Anything else you want to add on this uh, on the on the final farewell to the Cronin era? Bye, Felicia. So just to give our listeners a sense here, we are rapidly approaching the start of the season, which I'm going to count as October 4th, Midnight Madness. Um, Hummer and I have got a couple weeks here where we're going to do a little more content, maybe inc- incorporating some of the past. Hopefully, if we're if we get real lucky. Uh, talking to some folks affiliated with the program. But as we get into Midnight Madness, we're going to leave the past behind and 100% embrace the future of the program, the John Brandon era, and get excited about what this team we have this year can do in the 2019-2020 season. Do some season previewing. Talk about the conference. Who's who's a contention? Who's favored? How are we going to stack up and see what we can do this year? Hummer, we're getting to the point of the episode where we need to dedicate this special podcast episode to a former Bearcat legend. What say you? Well, we w- I got to thank Ryan Fisher for bringing to our attention that we forgot the, the shout-out Deontay Vaughn for his incredible, his immense, his legendary contribution to the program. So I'm going to dedicate this, this particular episode to Deontay Vaughn. Cheers to Deontay Vaughn, and that brings up even a, a, a better point, which is hit us up on Twitter, at Cincy Slangin, or Gmail, CincySlangin at gmail.com. We love hearing the feedback. We love getting your opinions on the program, on our performance. And please, go to iTunes. Leave a five-star review. Tell the people about this great Bearcats podcast. But for now, cheers to Deontay Vaughn. A great... Cincinnati Bearcats. Saying goodbye is dead by thousand cuts. Flashbacks waking me up. I get drunk, but it's not enough. Cause the morning comes and you're not my baby. I look through the windows of this love. Even though we boarded them up. Chandelier still flickering here. Cause I can't pretend it's okay.